There once was a man dwelling in the land, far from God. He's never heard of this God and he's actually just a pagan. He's a reasonably good man, but he's never really been much better than everyone else around him. I mean, he's a pagan after all. But God saw this man, see him coming and going throughout his life. He looked at him and and God thought to himself, I want him. I am going to use him to start the biggest revival that is ever going to occur on this earth. I'm going to use him to begin a journey that will start with Abraham and end in Revelation. You see, God saw a man called Abraham and he came to Abraham and and he told him, Abraham, you don't know me, but I want to make come and make a promise to you. And this promise that God made to Abraham would extend to the end of the age where Abraham's seed will be as many as the stars in the heavens, as many as the sands on the beach shores of the earth. And this promise is rooted in mercy. You see, when we think about the Old Testament, mercy seems to usually be a topic that's quite far off. No, no. Mercy is for the New Testament. Judgment's for the Old Testament. That's what many of us grew up thinking, right? I want to submit to you that God never changes. And he's the same from the beginning to the end, from Genesis to Revelation. He's never changed his mind. He never changed his character. He never changed the way he does things either. In fact, his plan has always been the same. And that's to save, to redeem the world. And I want to demonstrate in this teaching, this Torah portion called Lecha Lecha. We're going to talk about how God never changes and how his covenants are intricately connected with one another. And all his covenants are covenants of freedom, mercy, self-sacrifice and love. You see, many would tell you, try and convince you that he has got covenants of judgment, covenants that are a burden, covenants that are abolished, covenants that just take away from us. But I want to submit to you that God's covenant has only been to give. It's only been to bless. It's only been to bring freedom. And it's all about every single one of his covenants is all about Yeshua, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Every one of them never takes away from him or anything he did, but only comes to add and fulfill and bring meaning and bring completion and bring substance to what he did. And see, to take away God's promises is only going to take away from us because his promises has only been given to bless us. The story of Abraham is amazing because God comes and gives us certain details about the story, which out of context of the rest of scripture can seem kind of 
useless or meaningless. But when we look at it in terms of the bigger picture of Scripture, we see that God is actually trying to show us something in the sto- how the story of Abraham starts to connect the story of Abraham with other places in Scripture because He wants to use the story of Abraham to teach us about Himself in all of Scripture. The story of Abraham starts here in Genesis 12 where we read about how Sarah and Abraham comes to this place and they're in Egypt and Pharaoh is there and, and Abraham sees it and Abraham sees his wife Sarah and sees and tells her, Sarah, you are beautiful. The men of this land will will want to take you for themselves. And in fact, if they put their eyes on you, they're going to want to kill me for you. And what Abraham does is something interesting. He tells Sarah, he says, I need you to tell everyone in this land that you're not my wife, but in fact, you're actually my sister. And Sarah agrees to this and they continue into the land and she accompanies him in the public's eye as his sister instead of his wife. Pharaoh then comes and actually does the, 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 the men of Pharaoh actually sees Sarah and because she is a sister of Abraham and in their eyes not taken, they actually come to Pharaoh and say, hey, we think we found you a companion. And Pharaoh decides to take Sarah into his palace. And as Sarah is taken in, he actually blesses Abraham, who is in his eyes, Sarah's brother, with all these possessions, livestock and cattle and all kinds of amazing possessions. But what happens next is God comes and he puts a curse on the house of Pharaoh because of Sarah, because he knows obviously the Sarah and Abraham, they're married. This is not right. And, 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 and Pharaoh starts experiencing these curses in his home. And he actually comes and he comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, why didn't you tell me that this is your wife? Take her. And everything with you and leave this place so that these curses can leave with you. And when we look at this story, is there any part of it, any thread that looks familiar? I want to remind you of the story of Israel and Egypt. You see, Abraham's seed would become Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel. We have the story of Moses and the Exodus. Now, you see, just like Sarah had this change of identity in that she was first the husband of Abraham and then Abraham came to her. And for the protection of both Abraham and Sarah, Abraham said, I need you to have a change of identity. I need you to now become my sister instead of my wife in the public view. See, that's exactly what happened to Moses. Moses, taken by his family, while Pharaoh put out the decree to kill every firstborn of the land, Moses' family took him and put him in the river, trusting God that he will be protected. And what God did is he let Moses have a change of identity. Moses from being an Israelite became was taken by the by 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 Pharaoh and his family and became the prince of Egypt. He became an Egyptian. 
And what happened next is Israel was seen by Pharaoh and Israel was taken into the house of Pharaoh to become slaves. You see, the bride of Christ was seen by Pharaoh and taken into his house. Just like Sarah, after her change of identity, even she was taken into the house. And but Pharaoh decided to bless Abraham, right? It says that he gave him many possessions, just like Moses. Moses was given many possessions. He was given the title of being the prince of Egypt after all. But what happens next is God intervenes and God comes and starts reminding Moses of who he is, that he is actually an Israelite, is a Hebrew. And God uses Moses to come to Pharaoh and the plagues start on the house of Pharaoh. Just like when God started the plagues on the house of Pharaoh, when Sarah was in the house still. And what happened next is amazing as Pharaoh calls Abraham in and he says, Abraham, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me that she is your wife? Now you have brought all these curses upon me. Take your wife, take your possessions, take everything and go leave this place. And that's exactly what Pharaoh told Moses. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Arise, go out from the midst of my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve Yahweh as you have said. Take both your flocks, your herds, and, and as you have said, and go. Then you shall bless me too. You see, basically what Pharaoh is telling Moses is take the bride of God, take his people and go. Just like he told Abraham, take your bride and go. You see, the story is intricately connected. But why? What's the significance and why would God do this? You see, from Abraham's very own seed would come the 12 tribes. You got Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, who has the 12 sons of Israel, and they become the 12 tribes who are then becoming the, who are the ones who become enslaved in Egypt. And it's some he's doing this. God is doing this to, to point to something. He wants us to see that what is going to about to happen to Abraham is an intricately connected to what happened in Egypt, which is intricately connected to what would happen with Yeshua. You see, we already established how this story is connected to Egypt. But what happened on the last night, that plague, that last plague before Pharaoh came to Moses and told him to take his people and leave. We had the angel of death roaming through the streets of Egypt and looking for a home that has not does not have the blood. Yeshua said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the father except by me. He says, I am the door. I am the way you see in Egypt with with Israel and Pharaoh and the the, the angel of death coming through it. the, The doors, it was a picture of Yeshua. He is the door on the house that stops the death angel from coming through. 
He gives eternal life. There's no other way for us to inherit the tree of life and eternal life that comes with that, except by the blood of Yeshua, except if we are covered by him. You see, he is the bringer of deliverance and freedom. And there is no one else, nothing else in this world that can do it. Even if you're the richest man in the world, like Pharaoh was, and you've got everything that your heart desires. Not only that, but Yeshua also simply saved us from the plague of death and what that sin has a consequence. And the consequence of sin is eternal separation from God. It is to be divorced from him and have no access to him because he is holy. And without Yeshua, we are not. And with that freedom and that understanding that we now have access to God through Yeshua comes a restoration of identity. You see, what happened to Israel is Moses came to tell them and remind them who they were. You see, when Sarah came back, was returned to Abraham, she was reminded again of who she really was. And that is Abraham's wife. That identity of being his wife was stripped from her, but now restored once again, just like Israel as well as Moses's identities, they were becoming Egyptian. They were in Israel were slaves. They were working and toiling for night and day while Moses was an Egyptian prince. None of them had their correct identity. But then when Yeshua turned up, when God turned up, he restored Israel's identity back to them. He said, Israel, you are no longer slaves. You are my people. He told Moses, Moses, you are not an Egyptian prince. You are a Hebrew. You are part of my people. And God then took them through the Exodus and that journey to start restoring that identity to them. Next, we see that God actually does come to Abraham and he confirms everything that I just said and that he says, Abraham, there is going to come a day when your offspring will be taken in to be slaves in Genesis. 15 verse 12, we read, and it came to be when the sun was going down and a deep sleep fell upon Abram and see a frightening great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abram, know for certain that your seed are to be so generous in the land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them for 400 years. But the nation whom they serve, I am going to judge and afterward let them come out with great possessions. But the real purpose of the connections that God is making in the story of Abraham with what happened in Egypt is to teach us about covenant. You see, what God does next is he makes what we know today as the Abrahamic covenant with Abraham. And this covenant is by nature a promise. A promise that Abraham's seed will be blessed immensely and that they will become as numerous as the stars in the heavens. For all the land which you see, I shall give to you and your seed forever. And I shall make your seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could count the dust of the earth, then your seed also could be counted. And so this promise, this Abrahamic covenant, this that God makes with Abraham consists of three different elements. That is incredibly important to understand. The first is what we just read and that God will make his offspring as numerous as the sand and the sea and the stars and the heavens. But how is this possible? How will God be able to give a mere man 
an offspring of that magnitude, because really, that's a lot of people. But when we understand what Yeshua would come to do, which is the fulfillment of the promise of Abraham, then we have a better understanding of what the promise of Abraham really is. You see, Paul talks in Romans about this promise, and he talks about how God will fulfill it. And he says, Romans 11, verse 24, for if you were cut out of an olive tree, which is wild by nature and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these or the natural bronzes be grafted into their own olive tree? You see, Paul is saying that you were once far off. You were once in this wild, random olive tree, but you were taken from that and grafted into the good olive tree. And that good olive tree represents Israel. It also represents Yeshua, which is the one who enables us to be grafted into Israel. He's the one who restores our relationship with God and allows all people to come into covenant with God, the nations, not just the physical line and bloodline seed of Abraham. You see, the God was never about just about the bloodline. It was always all about the nations. And see, this promise that is made to Abraham in Genesis is actually the a promise that is rooted in how the nations will become as part of his offspring as his seed by their grafting in by Yeshua. Because how do we come become part of Israel? How do we come become part of God's people? Is by the blood of the Lamb. The same way that in, as in Egypt, when we when we had the death angel passing over the homes of the Israelites, the way that that was happening was by the blood. And see, in the midst of Egypt, when the death angel was passing over, there were actually people that the death angel passed over that were not bloodline Israelites. People who simply saw these magnitude, the, the magnitude of these wonders of God, these plagues that are coming upon Egypt and fell on their knees and said, Father, we want to follow you too. Yes, we're not bloodline. Yes, we're not. We're not part of the physical seed of Abraham, but we want to follow you too. And we actually read in the Exodus of how there was a great mixed multitude that came out of Egypt, not just the bloodline Israelites, but people of different races and nationalities nationalities coming with Israel and they in that moment they became part and God actually says that you he told Israel you are to treat this mixed multitude as your own people I give one law he said for the stranger who sojourns among you as well as for the native born God is saying I'm not going to make a distinction by your bloodline. I give one instruction to all of you. All of you can come into covenant with me. You see this covenant that is initially first given to Abraham. It's not just for the bloodline, but for all who desire to follow Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Galatians 3 verse 29 confirms this when Paul writes, And if you are of Messiah, then you are seed of Abraham and heirs according to promise. The next element of this covenant that is made to Abraham is that of justification by faith. 
Remember in the beginning of this video, I told you of how God was merciful, even in the beginning to this man called Abraham. You see, we read in the scriptures in Genesis 15, verse six, and, and he, Abraham, believed in Yahweh and he reckoned it to him for righteousness. You see, Abraham believed he was he was far from God. He didn't know God. God came to him. God met him where he met him where he was. And God made a promise to him. And it says that Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. You know what that is? It's saved by faith through grace. You see, that's all the New Testament, new covenant thing purely. It started in Abraham. And you'll soon start seeing that this is not the only thing that the Abrahamic covenant has in common with what we know today as the new covenant, but they're intricately connected. You see, Abraham was saved by faith, not by works, not by what he did, not by many have this idea that in the Old Testament we were saved by works and then Jesus came and now we're saved by faith. That was never God's word, his plan. It was never how things actually even went down. It has always been that we were saved by faith and the mercy of God that draws us in to that faith. And then we have obedience that follows just like Noah, Noah himself before Abraham was Noah and Noah was saved because he believed God, that God, that it would rain like God said. And Noah was then obe- had obedience as evidence of that faith that demonstrated the faith he first had in God. And that is what saved Noah and his family. You see, it was faith first and then obedience that followed as evidence, proof of that faith. Because what does it help that you say, I believe, I believe, but don't do what you say you believe. The same with Abraham. Abraham said first, I believe you, God. And then he had action to follow where he left his own land and went to a land that he did not know as God called him. The third element of this covenant is that of blessing for obedience. You see, God came to Abraham and he he says, Abraham, I'm laying this before you. And Abraham says, God, I believe you. And then Abraham had obedience, but God then came with blessing. You see, the part of the promise is that if you are obedient to me, if you follow what I decree you to do, you see, if you go into this land that you do not know, this land that I promise to you, there will be blessing that follows. But if you do not do what I tell you, if you disobey, if Abraham never left, if Abraham was totally disobedient, Abraham just said no, had no faith, had no obedience. There would be a curse and that sometimes the biggest curse is the miss, the blessing that you missed. They see if Abraham never did that, he would not be the father of many nations that he is today. The very father that was that became the seed of the Messiah himself as well as me and you who, who are grafted in or part of the bloodline. You see, blessing is, is given through obedience. God also then says something interesting about this covenant, and he says that it is forever. He says it's everlasting. He says there is no end to this promise. This promise 
is eternal from Genesis to Revelation and beyond. You see, this covenant is forever. It means that it is not going to fall away at some point. It's not going to be abolished at some point. It's not going to end. It is eternal. The promises of God and that this covenant has will have a great offspring. This covenant will always be based on justification by faith and that this covenant is built on blessing. That this, if you obey this the terms of this covenant, if you follow through with this covenant, there will be great blessing in store for you. And this is forever, is what he said. You see, and it's interesting because this covenant, like I mentioned, is actually intricately connected with, how, with what God was connecting the story of Abraham and Sarah to in the beginning. And that is the story of Israel and the Exodus. You see, the biggest event that happened in the Exodus story is Mount Sinai. Is when God came to give the commandments to Israel. You see, as I mentioned, there was a mixed multitude that came out of Egypt and came into the wilderness with Moses and the rest of the people. And when they were at the base of that mountain, God said that I'm making this covenant not only with you. You guys, you're not all bloodline. You're not all native born. You are a mixed multitude. You, there are strangers who are among you. And I and you are, can now all become part of my covenant. And he actually goes as far as to say that it is not with you alone that I'm making this covenant and this oath, but with him who stands here with us today and with him who is not with us today, according to Deuteronomy 29, verse 14. You see, so this covenant, he says, not only with the native and the stranger that's here, but even with those who are not here today. Who are those people? You see, that Abrahamic covenant, we established that it is a promise and it was forever. I want to submit to you that this covenant that's given the Mosaic covenant, if you will, the covenant that was brought from Mount Sinai with the same people of the Abrahamic covenant, the exact same people, not a different people. It was given to everyone who's there and everyone who is going to say in the future, I want to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I want to put the blood on my doorpost. You see, you, you put the blood in your doorpost. You let Yeshua come in. You get eternal life through that door. And then where do you go next? You have faith first. Then you enter the wilderness where you receive the instruction. You see, and just like that Abrahamic covenant, which we established just forever for everyone who wants to say to follow God, this covenant is intricately connected. The same people, the same thing. And it's also called eternal, just like the Abrahamic covenant. Just like the no, the covenant made to Noah, where God said, I will never make it rain the flood, the earth like I did, uh, like I did with with the flood of Noah. You see, there is a pattern in that every covenant of God is eternal. It does not cease to exist. It is not faulted. It is perfect in every single way. And God calls it eternal. But see, don't be misled to think that the Mosaic covenant or the, the commandments that were given by, by, by God through his servant Moses is what saves us. 
It's not. It's important to understand that Israel first had to believe God. Abraham first had to believe God. Noah first had to believe God. Everyone who is a follower of God first needed to believe, have faith in God and be saved in that moment through their faith in God. And then we have the giving of the commandment. You see, we have the promise of Abraham. That is that he will have many be the father of many nations. And that promise is really completed or fulfilled, if you will, with Yeshua. You know, Yeshua was the one who came and by his blood, everything that happened here in the middle in Egypt was a picture of what Yeshua was going to do. And everything that was happening with Abraham was a picture of what Yeshua was going to do. Everything pointed to Yeshua. In Galatians 3 verse 13, Paul talks about this balance of we need to understand how what the role of each of these covenants are. He says that Messiah redeemed us from the curse of the law or the Torah, having become a curse for us, for it has been written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree in order that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the nations and Messiah should receive the promise of the spirit through belief. You see, the promise that was made to Abraham is given through Messiah. And he says that he came to redeem us from the curse of the Torah. What is the curse of the law? Is the curse the law itself or is the curse what happens when we break it? You see, when we come, what happens if if we are out of covenant with God and we, we don't know Yeshua? And we, there is a law of God that is a standard that is how that we are all held to. The law of God is eternal. It is the definition of sin. 1 John 3 verse 4 tells us that sin is the transgression of the law. In other words, if you want to know what sin is, just look at what the law says. If the law, just like the laws of your land, do not murder. And if you murder, you're going to go to prison. The same in God's law. If you murder... You're going to inherit the consequence of breaking that law. And so in the same way, the curse of the law is what happens when you break it. The the law of your land is not a curse for you. It is actually a blessing when it works for you. But it can be a curse to you. If you break it, it will bring a curse. It's not a curse just being there. It's a curse when you are in disobedience. But see, that's the problem is we are all sinners. We are all we have all fallen short of God. We are we are the if we rely on the law, we will never be able to be have a clean slate before God because we are sinful beings. And so we will always be lawless in that we can in that way apart from Yeshua. And that's why he said that he came to redeem us from the curse of the law, from what happens when you break it. You're not going to go to have eternal separation from God. You're going to be divorced from God. You are now through his blood. You're going to be made clean. Your sins will be washed away. The consequence of that law breaking of the law will be washed away and you'll be able to come and come with them. He's not saying that the law is a curse is a curse. He's saying that I came to redeem you from what would happen if you broke it. 
and the consequence and, um, and the consequence that comes from doing so. He goes on to say in verse 17, now this I say, that Torah that came 430 years later does not annul a covenant made previously confirmed by God and Messiah so as to do away with the promise, the one of Abraham. For if the inheritance is by Torah, it is no longer by promise, but God gave it to Abraham through a promise. You see, we need to understand that Paul is speaking to an audience who is who is, who is holding on to salvation by works of the law. The Pharisees believed, the circumcision party believed, that if you do X, Y, and Z, you'll be saved. Paul is writing and telling them that you guys are holding the Mosaic Covenant in the wrong place. You are putting that to in, in a place where you're trusting in it, and the, the, the law that was given there through Moses by God as to be bring you salvation. He says that... The inheritance, if the inheritance is by Torah, it's no longer by promise. But see, the inheritance was never by Torah, ever. We know that the same people that the Abrahamic promise was made to, that promise that says that if you are saved by faith, those are the people who were they, the seed of Abraham, who went through the Exodus. The law was given to them for what purpose? Not to save them. They already had faith. The law was not there to declare them righteous before God. The law was simply there to show them now how to walk as Yeshua would come to walk and how God would walk. You see, if you want to be a bride, you know, God came to save his bride like Abraham took his bride and left Egypt. God took his bride out of Egypt. And then what he did is bride, I love you. And you have shown your loving commitment to me by being obedient and, and running after and having faith in me. Now I'm going to give you instructions. He's going to now restore their identity to them. You see, the restoration of their identity I spoke about came through this, the, the instructions of God. You can see that what are, what, are instructions, what are the instructions of God? It is basically God's words and saying, I want you to live in this way. I want you to walk just like Jesus, like Yeshua. I need you to be and walk like me. That's what God says. And see that the way that the, the, the instruction that you follow will determine the life you live. You see, it's it's so simple. If, if, if I live in this place, I'm going to follow these laws and I live in another place. I'm going to follow those laws and those laws can look very differently. It's going to be two different lifestyles. In fact, many of those things will make me actually look totally different from the culture around me from Egypt. You see, Israel was in Egypt. They divorced from God, divorced from his law, divorced from his instructions, his Torah. They had no identity. They were lawless. But God took them out and he started restoring them his culture, his way of doing things. And that was what the purpose of the law was. The law was never there to save them. And this is all that Paul is really saying in Galatians. He's not saying that the law is bad or he's just saying if you use it for those purposes, it's bad. If you use it for the purpose of bringing yourself salvation and trying to make yourself right with God and trusting in this law to save you. Yeah, then it is bad. But the law is a he goes on to say the law is like a trainer. Therefore, the Torah became our trainer unto Messiah in order to be, clear, be declared right by belief. And after belief has come, we're no longer under a trainer. You see, he's talking the, the, the key thing in this 
passages to understand what he's talking about. He's saying to be declared right by belief. He's saying the Torah become our trainer unto Messiah to become become declared right by belief. You see, he is not just he's talking about salvation here, being declared right. You see, a way to think about it is simply like this. Torah is like kindergarten. You know, it's like when you when you grow up, you go through kindergarten and that's really where you where you learn the foundation. You understand the basics, the 101, really, really, really basics. And then actually the law of God that's given through Moses is actually pretty, a pretty low standard, even compared to Yeshua. You know, God gave the kindergarten class, if you will, when he gave us the Torah. Because and that's why he's saying it, the Torah was our trainer until we came to Messiah. Because when we come to Messiah, we now actually see we come. He comes to teach us more about the Torah. He actually comes to he, he told this taught his disciples, learn the basics, learn the Torah, do it. But then he went further and he said, I tell you that, you know, you think that the, the, the Torah says, you know, if you murder, that is that's a bad thing. And there's there's deep consequence for that. I tell you that if anyone is angry at his brother, he will be liable to judgment. Go and make yourself right with your brother. You see, now he's he's actually building upon the kindergarten class, if you will. He's built he's the Torah was the trainer, but Messiah is the one who we want to look like and see he push the envelope even further. Paul also says that after belief has come, we're no longer under a trainer. Now, does that mean that we are we don't need to keep the Torah anymore because we because Messiah has come? Do we need to keep the law of God anymore because Messiah has come? No, he is talking, as our, if I may remind you, about salvation. He's saying talking about inheritance by by well, how are we inheriting this kingdom by belief? And he's saying that in order to be he's talking about how to be declared right. And yes, by the Torah, we won't be declared right because he says we're no longer then under a trainer. What does it mean to be under something? You see, when you are in kindergarten class, you are under your trainer. Whoever is your teacher will discipline you where necessary when you break the rules of the class. When you are not obedient to how things are to be done, there is a consequence. And in the same way, the law, like I mentioned, has a consequence. When you break the law of God, there is a consequence and the consequence of breaking it is severe. It is, in fact, eternal separation from God apart from Messiah. But he's now saying because belief has come, we are no longer under that trainer. In other words, that kindergarten teacher is not the one who's now punishing us for when we break the Torah. The Torah is not going to bring consequence upon us if we break it because we are saved by through faith. When we have belief in Messiah, we are saved by him. You see, he is not throwing away the trainer and saying that everything that you learned in kindergarten is wrong and you need to throw all that out and forget about it because I'm giving you something new. No, he's not saying that. He's saying that you are no longer under the consequences for the things that you could never do right. You over and over and over broke my law. You were sinful. 
and you couldn't get it right. And you now I came to deliver you from 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 the consequences. I now I'm coming. I'm putting actually a higher standard. He says, and he is now our, he, he becomes he comes in place of the trainer and he comes and presents us an even higher standard. It's like going to university and even higher standard is now simple as given to what you learn in kindergarten. Now Yeshua is there and he teaches you the way your manners of it. He teaches you the deepness of it. He's not throwing away one jot or one tittle of his father's law that you learn in kindergarten, the Torah and the prophets. The beginning of your book, he's not throwing any of that out, but he's saying, I'm going to teach you something greater and deeper. And the way that I walk is so much more, so much deeper. There is so much more, so much more of a standard. And he and he and he's sending me like, God, how are we going to do this? How are we going to follow this Messiah who's got suddenly this even higher standard now? He says, I'm going to come and I'm going to write my law on your heart. My Torah, that's what he said, that kindergarten stuff, I'm going to write on your heart. And I'm going to change your nature into a place where you want to keep it. And actually, I want to, I'm going to change into a place where you want to walk like me. Where I'm going to make you do things that, that you have never, would have never imagined you'd be able to do. I'm going to allow you to cast out demons, raise the dead. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper. You see, that was not what you learned in kindergarten. That's what you learn when you dwell with God. That's what you learn when you get Messiah, when you get Yeshua. And that's what he means when he says, OK, now you're no longer under the train or now you're, you need to follow my example, an example so much higher. And he says in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. Do not think that I came to abolish kindergarten, if you will. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And that word there for fulfill, it's pleru in the Greek. The word pleru means to bring fullness of meaning. It doesn't mean I came to do it so that you don't have to. It doesn't mean that I came to fulfill it. So now it's abolished. It doesn't mean I came to fulfill it so you can forget about it. I came to do it so, you know, you can be free from doing anything that is obedient. No, he said, I came to bring fullness of meaning from what you learned in kindergarten. It's like when you go to university, all the math, all the all the basic things you learn in grade one, two and three. Now suddenly it's being applied and you're, you can use it in real life situations where you can do it in a job one day. You see, in grade one, it doesn't make sense why you're learning one plus one. But when you get to university, it's simply getting meaning to it. And that's exactly what Messiah is saying. I don't come to throw away the one plus ones that you learned. I came to give you a meaning and application in your life. And he says, for truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not a dot, not an odor will pass from the Torah, the law, until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whatever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You see, Yeshua not for one moment tried to negate the foundation. He never for one moment tried to say that you don't need to worry about the things that 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 God gave through Moses. Those are not the things that are going to save you. But do not 
negate them and throw them out because that's how I want you to walk. That's the identity that I want you to inherit. I am coming back for bride equally yoked is what he said. And he says, I not one dot or odor will abolish, be abolished until heaven and earth pass away. You know what that is? That's forever. You know, that's until this place at least passes away is how long this eternal covenant will last this mosaic covenant until God one day comes and says heaven and earth has passed away now it maybe God will have another plan but till then it's still in effect and everyone who calls on his name will have to follow what he decreed you see the Abrahamic promise is fulfilled in Yeshua Everything that God promised Abraham, that salvation and everything and, and the offspring and the, the multitude of the nations is coming and it's fulfilled in Yeshua. Where he said, I come, I came, he came to bring the salvation to the whole world. But the Mosaic covenant that happened right here in the middle between it, it holds it all together. It is, is what happens after we have you say God is the beginning and the end. And when we get God, we have faith in him. Now, suddenly we need to come to the metal and we need to find him and see how did you walk God? How do you do things? What is your culture? What is the identity that you want to give me? And we need to, we ought to look at how Yeshua walked. He is the ultimate example, like we mentioned. And we need to be obedient to him and follow. Look at how he walked a rabbi as our rabbi, as our teacher in every way. You see, when the disciples followed Yeshua, he, they became his disciples, Talmudim. And that means, you know, in the first century, the understanding was that if you are a disciple, you will imitate your master or your teacher, your rabbi in every single way. How they ate, how they spoke, how they walked, how they talked. And I'm not even exaggerating. They were to imitate their rabbi in every way. And see, this is all that everything I've said in this teaching just comes down to. Is are you walking like him in every single way? Because see, many say, will say, Lord, Lord, did we not cause our demons in your name? Didn't we do all these mighty works in your name? Yet I will declare to them, depart from me, your workers of lawlessness. You who said, oh God, didn't we do this and this and this? Yet you were disobedient in that you threw out the law of God. We see lawlessness is simply being without law. It's as simple as that. And so you cannot afford to say, God, I love your promise, God. Oh, Yeshua, I love the promise you gave to Abraham. And I follow that and I believe that. And Yeshua, I, I believe you and I, I want to follow you and all that. But you don't actually walk like he walked. How did he walk? He walked in the way that his father decreed that if you break one of these laws, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. You think Yeshua broke even one? He didn't break one. He never sinned because breaking the law of God is sin. 1 John 3 verse 4. If you transgress the law of God, that is sin. And so I encourage you, brother and sister, that many will teach. The law of God is abolished. The, the covenant of Moses has been given to, through Moses is abolished. It's now replaced 
by the covenant of Yeshua. But in doing that, they fail to understand that you can't be in the covenant, the new covenant of Yeshua, if you aren't following the covenant thereafter that must be given to Moses. Because if you, you can't afford to paint the blood on your doorpost, go through Egypt, but then turn away from God and say, I'm not going to follow any of these instructions you want to give me here because I don't like it. I don't want to be obedient, God. You know how it goes down? That means you get to be least in the kingdom of heaven. And that's from the mouth of Yeshua. So I encourage you to follow the covenants of God, which has been given to us to bless us. It's never been given as a curse, contrary to what many will teach. It has always been given to bless, to, 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 to give eternal life, to give you shalom and mercy and peace. You see, in the Mosaic covenant, when God came through, through spoke through Moses, what happened is he said this. This is not about salvation per se, but he said, I want you to be obedient to these instructions. Why? Because I will bless you. I will, you will not inherit the diseases of Egypt. You will not be uh, cursed. But if you do not, or if you're not obedient, you are choosing in that way death. You will bring curse upon yourself. Yes, you can say you follow me. Yes, you can say that Yeshua, Jesus, you can cry on his name. But if you don't do what he said and walk as he walked, you will inherit the curses that come with that. For the evidence of our faith is exemplified in our obedience to him. So I hope this encourages you. May God bless you and keep you. Father, I pray that you would come, Lord Yahweh, and break your law in our heart. You would come and change our nature, Father, with by your spirit, because it's the outpouring of your spirit and the new covenant of Yeshua that comes and does it with us. And Lord, I pray with us. Lord, I pray you would come and, and, and fill us with your spirit. Give us, give us wisdom. Give us knowledge. Give us understanding of your word, your covenant of being obedient. Lord, help us to not be a bride that doesn't hold her end of the deal up. Lord, you made a covenant with us and help us to be obedient to that ketubah, that marriage contract that you can make with us. Father, Lord, teach us and show us who we are. Show us our identity, God. Lord, I pray, Lord, you would come and open the eyes of your people for to see who they really are, God. That they are sons of the living God, Lord. And that they should live and walk as you walked, Father. In power of the Spirit and the casting of demons, the raising of the dead, as well as obedience to the things that you were obedient to, to walk as you walked in every way. Father, I thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy. We pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. May God bless you and keep you. I'll see you guys next video. Shalom.